Romans chapter 2. We all need God. We all need grace. Title on this one. We all need God. We all need grace. And this letter to the Romans here is predominantly about the good news of salvation. That's the whole Bible, really. But this specifically zeroes on to what God has done for us in Christ. Um, And the first three chapters are a little heavy uh, about sin and our need for salvation. If salvation and the good news is like a a precious jewel, a diamond, then, then these first three chapters are a dark background to make that look even more brilliant. So heavy, but in chapter one last week, we ended with some graphic talk of sin. And Paul says it straightforwardly that some have rejected the truth and even um, led them to sin. All sorts of sin, chapter one ends with. Um, Some pretty heavy stuff there in the middle, but sin that each one of us can relate to. Sins of sexual immorality, sins of covetousness and gossip, disobedient to parents is in there. Uh, So what the Bible teaches us is that we're all in need of salvation. We all need uh, a savior. Now, in chapter 2, verse 1, we see Paul address a question that he just feels like must come up, an issue that must be coming up. And he turns up the heat in verse one. Notice, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. So as Paul is talking about sin, he's talking about heavy things of homosexuality, uh, common things in our mind of covetousness and malice, murder, right? Um, He envisions somebody in the group listening to this letter saying, yeah, but that's not me. That's not me. I'm not any of those sins. Um, Perhaps because it was a great division in the early church here in Rome, uh, maybe they would say, well, you know what, though? I'm a descendant of Abraham. You don't understand. I'm different. I'm not a sinner. I'm moral. Um, Maybe some like us. You say, well, yeah, Paul, you're talking about them. I'm not that. I'm a good person. I've been a good person for a long thing, long time. I don't do any of those horrible things that you just mentioned in chapter one. This is how the New Living states it in verse one. You may think you can you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Paul says, you're just as bad. Now, he's going to get to it in chapter 3, verse 23, and he's going to say, all have sinned. Let's just say it plainly. We're all messed up. 
Um, Now, if we were honest about that list in chapter 1, we could practically say we're all messed up, right? We've all experienced covetousness and envy and malice in our life. We need salvation. But that's not where we usually go as we listen to things of sin. We, We usually get to this point where we say, but that's not me. The gospel is good news, but sin, that's not me. It's for them. Now, come back for a second. It's about them, not me. When we watch the news, you ever notice this? When we watch the news, we see them, whoever them might be. And whoever them is in our mind determines where we get our news, right? (laughs) As, As we watch that. You know, the unruly mob that I see on the news, those liberals. It's the liberals that are causing all the trouble. It's them. Maybe we change the channel. We change the channel, and it's a different mob. And they're headed for the Capitol building. It's those red hats. That's the problem in America. You might not say that, but... You might, right? And it's not me, it's them. Well, change the channel again, because this isn't what I want to watch. It's that mob of migrants. It's that pride parade. It's them. They're the ones causing all the problem. Russia's the problem. China's the problem. The poor are the problem. The rich are the problem, right? <laughs> and, and they're we see, depending on who the them is in our mind, it'll determine where we get our news from. But the problem is them. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The problem isn't them. The problem is us. The problem is me. I'm the problem. You're the problem, if I can say that, right? The problem is me. And Paul is going to say, don't go pointing the finger at everybody else, look at your own heart. That's what the Bible teaches us. And we have to be careful. Not because I think you have a problem with that, but I know you have a problem with that because I have a problem with that, right? I look at everybody else, but God says, look at your own heart. And that's what we want to do today, a little later, is we want to take time between us and God to look at our own heart. The problem here in the book of Romans might have been the Jewish audience. He's going to address them specifically a little later on. Who said, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I don't need salvation the way those Gentiles, those pagans need salvation. But we could just as easily, each one of us, say the same thing in our own lives. Well, I'm a good person. And you are, right? (laughs) I'm a good person. I've always been a good person. I don't need salvation. And Paul says, so that's a really dangerous place to be, you who condemn others. Let's turn for some more (laughs) scathing news here. Let's turn to Amos, minor prophet, Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. Heavy stuff. 
This is God talking here. Amos chapter 5. I realize that might be harder to find, but it's there. Verse 21. God says this. I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. So God here isn't pulling any punches. And he says, you know what, Israel? I hate your feast days. <laughs> the people were religiously observing feast days. Feast days are wonderful times. The feast of Passover and the feast of tabernacles, just remembering God's goodness and celebrating with, with food and fellowship. And God says, you know what? I don't care about your religious observances. Notice, he goes on to talk about their sacrifices. They were offering burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings. Now, one thing's missing in this list of offerings here, burnt offerings, grain offerings, and peace offerings. There's no sin offering, right? These are the fun ones in some ways. Well, burnt offering's not all that fun. But a burnt offering is full consecration to God. It doesn't really say as much about your sin. It says, God, here's my life. Here it is. Here's my time. Here's my energy. And you would offer a sacrifice, and that's what you would say to God. Here's my life. Everything I have, I give to you. That's nice. Then there's the grain offerings. The grain offerings would be from the first increase uh, that you would get in a season. When God would bless the harvest, you would bring some of that grain and you would offer it to the Lord, a sacrifice. Not really much about sin. And then there's peace offerings. Now, granted, there was still blood involved in a peace offering, but a peace offering or a fellowship offering was actually something you might in the end enjoy. You would offer a sacrifice, but you would roast that meat there in the place of worship. And then you would have a barbecue with your friends. I mean, that's essentially what it would be. You would spend time together and you would get to enjoy that grilled sacrifice. Kind of like what we're having afterwards, but kosher. Um, <laughs> and, and you look at this and God goes, you know what? Those offerings, they don't mean that much to me. And then notice what he says. He says, in all this noise, right, in, uh, in verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. There's never a case where calling music noise is a compliment. I'm just going to say that, right? God hears their worship, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. And, and God says, ah, it's noise. This is absolute noise to my ears. Oh, the the lights and the electric guitars, the acoustic guitars, whatever the case might be. God looks at their worship and he says, it's noise, just a bunch of noise. He says, take it all away. But notice verse 24, all that religion, and God says, let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. 
So God says, I want a change of heart. Before I want the feasts and the sacrifices and the worship, I want a change of heart. And that's what Paul is getting at here to realize that apart from God, we are absolutely lost and nothing, nothing impresses him in that. Turn back to Romans chapter two. It says you who judge another, it's unexcusable. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Do you think this, O man, who judge those practicing such things and do the same? You've got sin that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you despise? Now, now listen, verse four, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So Paul here zeroes in on the problem here. You're despising the riches of God. You're not really taking these things to heart. God's goodness. It's one of his prime characteristics that God is good. There is never a time that God has been bad, nor has there ever been a time that God has done badly, right? Uh, God is good in everything that he is. The book of Ephesians talks about this riches of God's goodness in so many different ways that, that, that in him, in Christ, we have redemption. This is Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So God is rich in goodness and rich in grace. Ephesians 2, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So God's goodness, he's rich in goodness, he's rich in mercy, he's rich in grace. And yet sometimes we see here our response. Now come back. Sometimes our response is not the right response. Notice verse four. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? Do you despise God's good goodness? Now the word despise there means to hold in contempt, uh, to take advantage of uh, because of a supposed weakness. Bless <laughs> if you can catch that. It means to hold in contempt or to take advantage of because of supposed weakness. Sometimes we can do that with things that are good, right? Um, Example. Allow me a couple of examples to kind of get this in our head. Um, When I was in elementary school many moons ago, um, (laughs) we would have monthly skating parties when roller skating was the cool thing to do back in the 80s. And, um, and there was this arcade game there. Remember arcade games, right? Paid a quarter for that, man. That was big money in those days. And there was this one arcade game that I knew the secret. I knew its weakness. Its weakness was if you kicked it 
just right between the coin slots. <laughs> you, would, you would look around. This is horrible. And this is confession in front of everybody today. <laughs> if you would look both ways and then you would just kick it right there between those two coin slots, it would give you a free game. So that's what we would do with our roller skates, right? Is kick that thing and get free games. Now, we were exploiting a weakness of that game. That game was good, right? And we were exploiting it because of a weakness. Now, we don't exactly do that with God. But sometimes we look at God's goodness and we say, you know what? I don't mean this, but I'm going to take advantage of that. It's a weakness that he's forgiving. It's a weakness that he's good and kind. And sometimes, just because we're humans, we take advantage of that. Sometimes, and take this the right way, sometimes we take advantage of people because they have means. Let's, let's put it this way. Sometimes we take advantage of entities because they have money. We look at taxes. You're going to talk about taxes? We look at taxes, right? And some don't pay taxes because you know what? The federal government has way too much money already. Maybe true. Who knows? They know how to spend it, right? <laughs> and, and sometimes we justify not paying such taxes because, well, they've got more than they need. What difference does mine make? Now listen, you're a sinner. Paul's going to say in Romans, pay your taxes. But anyways, but that's despising uh, because of a weakness, taking advantage of. Um, sometimes, last one, better example. Sometimes we take advantage of people's goodness because we know that they love us, Right? Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's our children. And we take advantage of them because we know that no matter what we do, they're going to love us anyways. They have to. Now, we can do these same things with God. We can despise him because he's just so good. He's got so much goodness and forgiveness. What difference does it make if I live a life of sin? And you know what? Even if I do, he's going to love me anyways. Unconditional agape love. Now, Paul here says that's what we can do sometimes. We can despise God's goodness and kindness, his patience with us. And it leads us to a place that's not right. It leads us to a place we shouldn't be. Notice here, the real way to take advantage of what God offers us in forgiveness and goodness and long-suffering, notice verse 4, the goodness of God leads to repentance. That's what it should do in our hearts. When we see how good God is, it should lead us to repentance a change of direction, not towards sin, but away from sin. And the honest truth here is 
that if we continue to go towards sin, the Bible is very clear. Um, if we continue to go towards sin, we may not really know the forgiveness and the grace of God. James. James is straightforward with it. Faith without works is dead. He says it this way in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle or control his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Man, that's harsh. <laughs> he, he says, your religion is useless if it doesn't even control how you talk. <clears throat> And James will go on and say, like, man, nobody can control the tongue. It's just a ruthless evil, you know. It's a whirlwind. But, but what we believe, how we've received God's grace, should change the way we live. If it doesn't, it may not really be faith, James would tell us. Um, that God's kindness leads us to repentance Paul's been saying things about wrath and judgment, uh, God's righteousness. And maybe we need a little bit more picture of that in our life. Um, notice, notice verse 5. But in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent hearts, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath. In the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. So Paul here throws a little bit of fear of God in, right? He says, look, if you're headed this direction, you're storing up wrath. You're storing up judgment. Now, we're still saved by grace. Paul's going to get into that big time here in Romans. But um, it's serious business. Our faith needs to turn us away from sin. It ought to change our hearts. Um, and there's no partiality with God. Look at verse 11. That's what it says. <laughs> there's no partiality with God. So it doesn't matter what your background is, your religious background is, what your religious experience is. This is something that we all have to come to terms with in our own life. Sin. We all have it. God's goodness. It's meant to turn us towards repentance, uh, change of action, change of direction. And God allows us to that. Man, God gives us the ability to turn away from these things and to actually turn towards him. But it's something that happens in the heart. Paul addresses that strongly here. Now, what do we do with this? Take it seriously. But it must be taken personally. Now come back, all right? This is where I say, let's, let's go spend some time with God. We used to do this kind of thing at camp often. No talking, just five, 10 minutes 
want you to go spend time and see what God says to you. Take your Bible. We have communion in the back, I believe. We have the elements of communion. We're not going to take it together today, but you can take it yourself. And this is something I'd like you to do by yourself, not as a couple, not as a family, yourself. Take communion yourself. Spend time with God and see his amazing goodness there at the cross. That even though we were sinners, God demonstrates his love for us. Christ died for us. All those sins that we struggle with, God wants to give us forgiveness. He wants to give us the power to walk away from those sins. He wants to give us a real honest-to-goodness relationship with him. So I'm going to stop talking, and what we're going to do is we're going to pray. You can take communion with you. But if you're able, I would love for you to disperse. There's plenty of chairs and benches. It's something we try to do around our house here for this occasion. There's places to go across the pond, wherever you want to walk, watch where you step. But, um, <laughs> but I want you to take some time, just you and God. Talk about that sin that you're struggling with. Talk about that forgiveness that he's given you. Uh, talk about how much he's loved you. Whatever it is, spend some time, you and God. Let's pray. God, uh, I know I can't say anything in myself that's going to change my heart or anyone else's heart. But God, your spirit is real. God, you work and you whisper into each one of our hearts every single day. God, we want to take these moments and just set our attention on you. That we wouldn't despise your goodness and walk all over it. But God, we would enjoy it. Be blessed by it, that it would strengthen our relationship with you. God, as we give you this time, we ask that you would do something special in each one of our hearts. Give us the ability to shut out all the distractions in our mind, our schedule, all the cares. We would just cast them upon you. God, we would see you in this time as we give it to you. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.